uh, Sunday school guy here. Uh, Pastor Rob normally is teaching this class, and I'm generally on the other side of that wall uh, teaching the baptism gospel partnership class, but it's a treat for me to be able to join you this morning and to talk specifically on the topic not only of discipling, but but of the use of Christian books in discipling. And so my hope is that uh, this morning we can think a little bit about Christian books and then what role they can play in your Christian life and also how you can use Christian books uh, to disciple other people, to help other people come along in the faith. And so I, I wanted to start by opening in a word of prayer and then... Uh, and then from there, we're going to dive in. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we are here this morning, we want to humble ourselves before you and ask that your mercies would be new this morning. We need your mercies. We need your help. Lord, you have revealed yourself to us by your word. The Holy Scriptures, your inerrant word, they're fully sufficient and authoritative. Your word that explains the universe. Your word that reveals who you are. Your word that interprets us and exposes our sin and our rebellion and your word that speaks to us of a pardon and a clemency that is only found through exclusive allegiance to Jesus Christ. Lord, even as we talk about these things, as people come in for the Sunday school class and come to the main service, we recognize that there are those who are not following Jesus Christ, and we pray that they would repent of their sins. In other words, that they would turn from all other allegiances and pledge allegiance to you alone. And Lord, as people do that, we know that we are called then to make disciples and that those disciples, those followers, even in their very first steps of following Jesus Christ, they need help. They need to be pointed to Jesus Christ and we thank you, Lord, that there have been many disciples through the centuries who then have reflected upon that, that following of Jesus Christ. And they have written those things down, those reflections, in order then to help others in their walk with Christ. Lord, I pray as we talk about Christian books and discipling this morning, that you would help us never to forget the main focus which is actually following the Lord Jesus himself. So, Father, we ask by your Spirit that you would continue to convict us, but you would also strengthen us and impel us to follow, follow after Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, why would we even consider using any other book of the Bible, other, other, any other book rather than the Bible when we're discipling another Christian. You would think, well, isn't the Bible, isn't the Bible sufficient? Why would you even think about using something other than the Bible? 
Doesn't the Bible itself contain all that we need to know for life and godliness? Well, it does. But there are several benefits that are gained by reading other books by Christian authors. So there's, there's a number of these. I'm just going to list these. So first, it's really beneficial for Christians, just generally speaking, even on Sunday morning, is beneficial for Christians to converse and talk with one another about spiritual things. So that is actually what you do when you're at church. If, if all you do is talk about the flame's epic win last night, Rob, is that all you're talking about at church? No, you, you, you never talk about the flames except disparagingly. Too many Oiler fans of this church, but I can't, I can't change that. But we talk about spiritual things. We don't just talk about the weather. We talk about the things of God. That's what we talk about. And so if that's the case, if you would talk with other people at church, other Christians at church, about the things of God, about what is true, about what the Bible teaches, about what the sermon was about, or what last, ser- last Sunday's sermon is about, and then anticipating what is this Sunday's sermon about. All of those things that you may converse with other people about, well then to switch that from being a live conversation to being then not a dead conversation, but actually a conversation with dead authors even, those that used to live and go to church and raise families and go through their own trials, and and then they had to reflect on God's goodness, they had to reflect on God's provision, they had to reflect on God's gospel, and you think about how they reflected on those things, then you engage in a conversation with them. And that is, that is, in essence, what you're doing when you're reading a Christian book. Reading a Christian book is like having a conversation with a person who can't be with you in person. So thousands of Christians have thought about God and written those thoughts on paper. And so it's a wonderful thing to be able to learn from them, to be taught by them, even though they can't be with you in person. So that's how you're to view Christian books. It's not as a substitute for the Bible, but just as you know, an individual Christian friend is not a substitute for the Bible, but what a blessing to have Christian friends to talk about the things of God. So that's kind of one of the First thing, just the benefit of this conversation. Every time you read a Christian book, it is a conversation. It's also important as well, especially for us, to recognize that as Christians, we don't stand alone in history. So, so we, we actually are not the beginning of the Christian faith. Nor is the beginning of the Christian faith uh, from, you know, the year, you know, maybe, uh, you know, I don't know, even the beginning of, this, of our church here, 2006. You know, that's when Christianity, Christianity didn't start then. 
Some people have the impression that there's really no church history before D.L. Moody. You know, or you might think, oh, well, there's not really any church history before the Protestant Reformation. And, and what you start to see is that we don't stand alone. There's a wealth of knowledge and wisdom in books from the past that we would do well to read and consider. And so it'd be really prideful for us. And this, this often happens with well-meaning people. They have their Bibles and they say, well, it's me and my Bible alone and you can't teach me anything. Pastors can't teach me anything. I, other books, well, it doesn't matter. I got the Bible. Well, yes, the Bible is authoritative and sufficient. But is it the case that there's been nobody else with intelligence and wisdom who, has, who have reflected on the Bible too? And can you learn from them? Or are you just like, well, if I haven't studied it or if I haven't found it in the Bible, it doesn't count. As if then I'm the one who is then the very first person who's ever considered these things. It can be quite arrogant. The third thing is that the reason why we would consider things other than the Bible is, is that we have a limited amount of time. We have a limited amount of time. And so maybe there's a topic or a point of study, something that you want to go deeper on, that you want to understand, or maybe somebody has presented a problem to you which you don't have an answer for. And so you're like, well, you know, uh, I don't have, you know, an entire lifetime to spend studying this topic exhaustively because I still have to go to work. I I still got to get food on the table for the kids. I still have to do these various things. I have to live. So there is benefit then when you find that someone else has reflected on these things or built on the reflections of many other people before them and compiled even all that the Bible says on a certain topic or a certain theme. And the result is then, you, especially not just for your own spiritual benefit, but if you want to help disciple someone and help them on a particular topic, maybe thinking about the topic of prayer, or thinking about the character of God. Well, instead of you having to do a PhD's worth of work on the topic of prayer in order just to disciple somebody that you're meeting with on Tuesday afternoons, that you can then have a Christian book that you then can both go through together and take advantage of someone else's good work. So, it, so it's a good use of time. Reading a good Christian book can facilitate your discussions about important aspects of the Christian life, about faith, about godliness. And sometimes, because of your limited time, you're not able to be both, you're not able to both teach good Christian material and also have time to talk about it and apply it to each other's lives. So, like, is that all, when you get together, is that all you're going to do is just kind of, you're going to teach all this core doctrine, but you've got no time to really talk about it and apply it. And so sometimes reading a good Christian book with someone else sort of injects content into the relationship. 
You can both read the material on, on your own, say you're reading, the, you're, you're reading the, a chapter a week or something of a good Christian book. Well, you've both already read it. But then you can spend the time that you get together for coffee, you can spend that time discussing and applying the material. You don't have to go over all the material to start with. You both already read the chapter. So that's some of the benefits of using Christian books in discipling. Now, one of the problems, it's a problem that everybody has here, every single person, is the problem that we don't know how to read a book. I thought I might even get a laugh out of that, but no, there's no laughs. Everybody's feeling convicted. We don't know how to read a book. Uh, it's, it's actually, they're, they're doing surveys, and statistically, people are losing the ability to read books. Why? You, you know why. It's in your pocket. Because you just scan through this thing, and, you know, it's not even anything written hardly anymore. It's just cat videos, right, and all that other stuff. So the ability to pay attention to a reasoned argument over the course of multiple chapters, we're losing the ability to pay attention that way. So to read a book is actually quite challenging. So how do you read a book? There's actually a a book with that very title, How to Read a Book by Mortimer Adler. He's a Jewish academic and, and just... Because like, it, you know, how, how you read, how you read the Bible, how you read a book, will affect then the benefit that you may get from it. Now, if I was to say, if you had a, if you had a paper book in hand, if you had a paper book in hand, well then, you can, you can use a pencil or a pen. Some guys say, oh, he never use a pen in a book. I don't care. I write in them. I, I put pen, highlighter, whatever you want. But you, need, but you need to write with a pencil in hand, not just in the book, but taking notes. Now, maybe you're all digital and you're all Kindle or whatever it might be, but it might be then the need to, as you read, you have to have some way of retaining what you've read, some way to note it. Because otherwise, what happens is, oh, I'm using The Pleasures of God, John Piper. Oh, that was such a good book. So good. And then somebody asks you, what's it about? And you're like, it, it, it's really, really good. I, I, I uh, yeah, it's, it's about the pleasures of God. Oh, okay. Well, what, oh, so, so tell me more. And it's, uh, well, you know, you just don't. You don't have anything to say. It's a little bit like Sinclair Ferguson described. You, you need to have some kind of buckets. To, to, there's all this blessed rain that's falling from all this truth that's falling down on you. But you've got to have some buckets to, to, to contain it, to get a hold of it, to keep it. If you don't have any buckets, then it just kind of washes over you and you have no retention. So you want to have some type of engagement with the author. Remember, we said it's a conversation. 
So if I'm using John Piper's Pleasures of God as an example, well, if you're then engaging with Piper, well, you're, you're actually having this conversation with Piper. Well, he's making an argument. Do you agree with it? Do you disagree with it? Do you think, wow, that's a profound way of putting that, and you note that? Or, oh, well, Piper, I can tell right here that he's actually just saying what Jonathan Edwards said, you know, centuries before. And you just make a note of that. But you're having this little conversation as if he was there at the coffee shop with you. And so that's a great way then to think about it. You, there's different ways, note-taking ways you can take up. And I, and I would say even, you know, it depends. Like if you, you know, David Mathis was here and he said, yeah, he needs paper. He needs paper, he wants to write it down. Although it was interesting when he presented, if you were at the conference, what did he have? He had the text on the screen and he used a highlighter, didn't he? So you can use digital if you want. I'd say don't be kind of too dogmatic. If it's convenient for you to read it on your phone, there's a way to highlight and take notes on your phone. It's not my preference, but if that's how it works for you, better to do it as you can rather than how you can't. Okay? I used to love having paper books, but then all the paper books in my library in 2013 all went with the flood, and I put them in a dumpster. Uh, so I love paper books, but you know maybe, maybe it's beneficial to have some in the cloud. Ask some good questions. Ask some good questions not only of the author, but think then about how you're then going to use then this book in your discipling. So this is always kind of a little bit of a challenge for me because I would find there would be books that I would personally find really stimulating, but for most other people, they find them weird. Maybe, maybe obscure. Maybe super rarefied and, and you know, kind of oddball. But you, you want to read things that are beneficial for your own soul, but you also want to have things that you know are going to help someone else, particularly in the context of discipling. And so you're going to ask good questions about these books. You're going to see, well, is this book something that feeds my soul? But also, is it something that's going to help this brand new Christian that doesn't really know much? Or is it going to help this other guy? that He's been, he's been a Christian for 15 years and he's read so much basic theology, but this is actually going to help him kind of fine-tune some things. So you've got to ask good questions about what is this book? Where is it at? What kind of level is it? And then you can ask good questions. You know, why, why does it matter that the author thinks that Jesus is God? Or why is that important to what he's saying or how does this idea change the way we think about God or you know so all all kinds of different things like that you know not not merely just bare yes and no questions but but kind of these these more qualitative questions if you can do that as you're going through the book then when you meet with someone those are the kind of quality questions that you can ask of them that then you get in this conversation. Rather than, you know, does the author think that Jesus is God? Yes or no? And then the guy sitting with you at the coffee shop says, uh, yes. Oh, okay. Now what? Now what do we say? 
Where do we go from here? Right? So you've got to have good questions. Think about good questions as you're reading. So, so you don't want to just ask, well, what does the author say? It's not just a book review. Because you can spend a lot of time, especially if you get together with someone, what does the author say? Well, you can just kind of go back over what you just read, but the point was you, you, you read it. It's not, it's not a test or a check for comprehension. Instead, when you read a book and you're going to go through it with someone else, then you know, you, you might, your task is to apply the book to that person's life, to their thinking, to their heart. And so, so you, then you can think about some of these. So, for example, there's a paragraph in here in The Pleasures of God. And, and just think about this, this paragraph as an example of something that you might want to share with someone else. So, this is John Piper talking about the pleasures of God. So, he says, so when we, <clears throat> he says, so when we say that God loves his son, we are not talking about a love that is self-denying, sacrificial, or merciful. We are talking about a love of delight and pleasure. God is not stooping to pity the undeserving when he loves the, when he loves the son. That's how God loves us. It's not how he loves his son. He is well pleased with his son. His soul delights in his son. When he looks at his son, he enjoys and admires and cherishes and prizes and relishes what he sees. The first great pleasure of God is his pleasure in the son. So that's just a paragraph from John Piper that's a rich one. So then you might ask then in your little coffee shop discussion, you might say something like, well, how might this idea change the way we think about God the Father and his relationship with Jesus the Son? You know, how, would, how does it affect our, how we think about that relationship? Have you thought about the Father's delight in the Son? Is that something that you've meditated on and reflected on? Probably not too much. So then all of a sudden you start seeing, oh, there's a different kind of love that the Father has for the Son than what He has toward us as sinners. It's different. And you might ask, how does it change the way we think about our position in the universe? You know, sure, God has this certain kind of love towards sinners, but is it the same as this amazing love that the Father has for the Son? It's a little different. So that maybe... Maybe the universe isn't all about us. Surprise, surprise. If you didn't know that, the universe does not revolve around you. Even though your spouse might have said that to you this week. Maybe, maybe not. Not to get into your marriages. How would this idea, you think, how would this idea serve to shatter a man-centered view of the universe? Just even that. Oh, well, that's how most people operate, with a man-centered view of the universe. Oh, well, yeah, but what about the Father's delight in the Son, His pleasure in the Son? It's, wow, it's not amazing? And that's then a conversation that you can have with someone else based on what you read together as you apply it and you're thinking about, oh, what are the implications of this? 
You're not just simply going back over the content in a book review, but what are the implications of this? Okay, so that's, that's maybe, uh, that's kind of like, you know, the how-to, how-to of using a Christian book as you're discipling. But even in back of that, and I've hinted at it a little bit, but there's another question. It's like, how do you choose what book you're going to go through with someone? How do you choose that? Well, there's basically two kinds of books. There's doctrine books, and there's devotion books. So, you got to kind of, kind of pick. So, so, this devotion, we just had a conference on the devotional aspects. The habits of grace, like how do you pray, what, how, does your, how does your singing incorporate into your worship, how do you meditate on God's Word, what's the importance of fellowship with one another, all of these different things in devotion. But the doctrine is actually then, well, who is the object of our worship? What is He like? How does He act? What has He done? What is this doctrine of salvation? How is it that I can come to Him? What is required of us? What does He say we're supposed to do? So there's those two, two kinds. Doctrinal books, they're going to deal mostly with Christian teaching. They're going to be didactic, systematic, trying to teach truths of the Christian faith. Devotional books are going to seek to take truth that we already know and then apply it forcefully into all of our lives. Now, most books that you're going to find are somewhere on that continuum. That might be mostly doctrine, a little bit of devotion, or mostly devotion, a little bit of doctrine. They're going to be somewhere on that continuum. They're going to have some type of a mix. Now, the book that you choose for the person you're discipling will largely depend on his or her need and their interests. Their need and their interests. So young Christians will often benefit greatly from a book that seeks to teach them the deeper truths of the Christian faith. So, you know, getting a little deeper on the doctrine. Older Christians may need to have the truths that they already know drawn into their everyday consciousness. Right? Why do you, you know, some of you guys have been around a long time. You'll hear the sermon, and you're like, yeah, I actually know that doctrine. But I actually needed to hear it again and then how it's applied to my life because I'm kind of forgetting its significance. I know it, I know the doctrine, what it is correctly, but how does it apply? How does it apply? So you need to be wise in choosing a book for the disciple. You don't cater entirely to their interests, but you take stock also about their need. What do they need at this point in their life? See, if it was only about people's interests, well then people would only want stuff on apologetics, or they would only want stuff on the end times, or they would only want stuff on marriage. But they would not want things on the doctrine of God, or the doctrine of the Trinity, think concerning the Trinity, think about the doctrine of justification by faith alone, or thinking about some of these other, other matters. So you need that, 
you need to kind of work with somebody both with need, on their need and their interest. So that's maybe a good way of thinking about it. So, now another thing, you, you want to be careful not to choose books based solely on the title. This is a trap if you're, you know, you're kind of in certain kinds of churches, you know, where they don't really work at this. Uh, many young Christians certainly fall into a trap. They see a title that looks interesting. They read it, and they find out, oh, this guy is a liberal monk who denies the divinity of Christ. And I'll tell you another trap. Not just fancy titles, but fancy writing. It's a real trap amongst so-called evangelicals. If you are a, are a good writer, like you're, you're good wordsmith, all kinds of people say, oh yeah, this guy's so awesome. And yet, the problem is, they slip you all of these, all this bad theology in beautiful words. So you need to be very, very, very careful about titles and the style of books. Not saying that you know, good theology shouldn't be boring and it shouldn't be written poorly. But people get enamored with beautiful writing and assume that that's good. So for example... Someone like the Anglican N.T. Wright. Has anybody ever heard of N.T. Wright here? Put up your hand. Yeah, actually a fair, fair number of you. So N.T. Wright, smart guy. But he has major, major wooden nickels. You know what I mean by wooden nickel? Like, he, like bad currency, bad teaching. He has major bad teaching mixed in with some of the most profound, beautiful writing that you could ever get. And he wows you with this vast learning and knowledge. And so people say, oh yeah, I love N.T. Wright. And you just, just like, eh, you don't really know what you're getting into. There's another guy, this will be more obscure. Who's ever heard of Walter Brueggemann? Yeah, see, there's a couple, only two. See, that's a little more obscure. Actually, when you get amongst certain kind of kind of academic and pastor crowds, he's another. He's a biblical scholar who was an amazingly gifted wordsmith. So he writes this profound stuff. Walter Brueggemann is kind of the basis for another guy whose name I think you'll know. Who's heard of Eugene Peterson? He's passed away. Yeah. So Brueggemann is the basis for Eugene Peterson. And Eugene Peterson was an amazing wordsmith. But people don't know that both Brueggemann and Eugene Peterson have bad views of the inerrancy of the Bible. They, they, they don't know that. They think, oh, well, he's talking about the Bible. He must really like the Bible. Yeah, but he doesn't. He, if you believe in the inerrancy of the Bible, he doesn't believe the same thing you believe. But you don't know that because he doesn't come out and tell you all that. He doesn't come out and say all that. So there, you know, he's, he's got a Bardian view, a view following Karl Barth, which you don't know what that means, but that's okay. It just means that they don't believe the Bible is the Word of God, but it becomes the Word of God experientially when you receive it. But the Bible itself, oh no, it's not true. It's filled with mistakes. But it becomes experientially the Word of God when you receive it into your heart and it makes you warm and fuzzy. Right? So like there's things where 
profound writing, beautiful style, people will accept them and not know. So you've got to be, you've got to be careful about those titles. So what do you do? It's better to choose based on authors, authors that are trustworthy. And I would say, generally speaking, based on, based on publishers. So this is one of the paperbacks from the Banner of Truth Trust. Well, Banner of Truth Trust in the Christian publishing world is small potatoes. David Wells told me that when I was in his meeting when I was many years ago. He said, they're small potatoes, and they are. But I mean, you're not going to go too wrong with reading one of their books, regardless of the author. Now, there are other publishers like InterVarsity or Erdman's or something like that where you can't, tr- you, you can't trust, you don't know what they're publishing. It might be good. It might be horrific. So you've got to be very careful about these Christian publishers that you might come across. It's better to kind of know who these authors are. And personally, I also think it's important, although even if we read the Psalms of David and David was a sinner and, and uh, you know, he's an adulterer and a murderer, we still read his Psalms, he's still forgiven of the Lord. There are then some authors who maybe had good stuff to say early in their ministry, but later uh, maybe fell away, fell into sin, turned away from the faith, that then simply because then maybe their early stuff was okay, I generally recommend people then to stay away from their stuff because it, if you follow then the author too closely, it can lead you then into bad teaching. So it's better just to stick to ones that you know are trustworthy. And I always like it if, is this author, like I've, I've had occasion to be in the same room with John Piper a few times. Um, he, is, he is everything his books are. Like there's no, he's not phony. He, you, he is what he is. And, you know, he's not dead. That's the benefit of reading dead authors. You know how their life finished up, right? Did they persevere in the faith or not? They did. You know, that's always the trouble with these endorsements and all these, especially you get all these book, you know, book endorsements on the back of a book. It's like, oh, these guys, they're all, you know, they've all blown their ministries. But, but that's, it's good to know who is this guy. Is this someone that I could trust to talk to? Now, um, now other than books, now you're, you're thinking again, he's going to recommend, I'm going to read this. Uh, three three hundred and five page book. Oh no, three hundred and five pages. I don't got time for that. So what do you do? Well, maybe something a little bit more than the Twitter feed. Okay, that'd be really short. But there is now. You're seeing a lot of the publishers. Uh, they are they are doing this. They are going back to this is a. This is a 27-page booklet from Joel Beakey. They're going back to booklets. They're going back to really, really small books. I talked to Michael Reeves, well, about a year ago uh, at, a, at a meeting, and he just said, yeah, they're going to start moving to these smaller things like this just on you know, one aspect of one doctrine and just kind of publish stuff on that because people, that, they'll read that. They'll go through this, but they... They're not going to go through then the big thick volume. 
Now there's some of you here that are feeling quite proud because you you were at the at the Reform Book Services book stall at the conference and you went home with four volumes of Wilhelmus, a brockle, you know, a Christian's reasonable service, and you got it on your shelf, and you're like, Yeah, that's that's what I'm into. And maybe you did start reading it, and kudos to you. And it's great, it's wonderful stuff. But the but chances are, you know, a lot of that stuff you put on your shelf and it's like it looks good there, but you, you're not reading it. This guy, actually, I'll, 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 I'll kind of point out, we were over at Camden and Aaron Sterling's, and Camden's got an awesome library. But then, I think my wife, somebody asked Camden, have you read these? But then he's, he's read them. He's going through, and he's reading them. But that's probably not you, my guess is. So just being very honest. So I would recommend a great way then to have something shorter, and it's even when you're discipling someone, and I've even found this with the elders. It's difficult to say, oh, okay, guys, I'll read this book. But very often I will say, read this article. So an article of you know, 10 to 20 pages that's a little bit more of a deeper thought on a specific topic, well, then it, that's then something that can be really used for fine-tuning things. Or, um, as an example... In the back, there's, there's all these table talks. I don't know, maybe you all took one. If you haven't, make sure you take one. They're for taking. Table Talk, this, this magazine, has all kinds of little articles. It's also got the devotional in it, but it's got all these articles. And this, not that I, uh, I don't always agree exactly with where they're coming from, but overall... These are short articles that you can digest that will move you forward in a knowledge of God and devotion to Him. And it's something then that you can say, oh, okay, here's this kind of one-page article. Let's, let's meet together and let's, let's talk about it. It's very doable. And it'll move the ball forward. And so then there's articles that you can get online. I would say that the articles, I'm going to mention three websites the articles from Desiring God, still, still their articles are the best for Christian growth. They're consistently good. They're not talking about, you know, what candidate so-and-so is saying or doing. It's not getting off on that. It's focusing on your devotion to the Lord and what are the things to be believed about the Lord and about His truth. So Desiring God... Another one, it's, a, it's more of a newer one, but it does get into taking Christian theology and applying it to some of the hot-button questions. And it's a website it's called Christ Overall. David Schrock, Stephen Wellam. David Schrock is in one of the... He's, he, he's at my lunch table at, at this pastor's deal that I go to. So I've met him a few times. Christ Overall. And they have then a theme that they will have for the month and put it into a bit of a journal, and it'll be a series of articles. Now, some of them will be a little bit more challenging, a little bit more detailed, and lots of Bible. But then, but then it's, it's short enough that, well, you can kind of read it slowly and digest it, and it's something then you could talk with someone else about, especially if it's on a topic that's of interest. Um, the third is... is sometimes a little bit more oriented to pastors, but nevertheless, is very much about life in the church. And it is 
the Nine Marks Journal. So they come out with a new journal each month, ninemarks.org, Mark Dever, Jonathan Lehman, and those guys. Now some of the topics will be, oh, well, that's just really talking about pastors, so it's not really relevant. It might be relevant to know, okay, well, what do pastors have to think about and do? But a lot of it is about church membership and what is it, what is it to be a Christian in the church, life in the church, which has kind of been neglected for about, you know, probably the past 100 years. There hadn't been a whole lot of people talking about life in the church, even though it was the main focus for centuries before that. Okay. Now, I'm going to go a little bit off script of the teaching, and I'm just going to suggest, uh, and if you're taking notes, I mean, you should be able to remember this even if you're not taking notes. I'm going to suggest kind of three kinds of books, or I should say three levels of books that you should think about for yourself, but also thinking about in discipling. And, and it's just very simple. There's going to be books that are introductions, some that are intermediate, and then some that are advanced. So there's kind of an introductory level, an intermediate level, and an advanced level. And that's kind of, if you just use that simple way of thinking about books, it's going to help you think through those. Now, what happens is, Everybody in their pride, they quickly get past the introductory and they think, well, no, I need the advanced books because everybody says, what's the best book on this? And so I need the advanced one. And so then they, you know, that's when maybe you might be buying the Dutch author because somebody told you, well, that's the best book on it. And then you start reading and it's like, I I don't know what this guy's saying. I can't, you know. Or... Or you're told, oh, well, John Owen is awesome. He's so good. And so you crack open John Owen, and you can't understand what this guy's saying. It's because he thinks in Latin. He's writing in English, but his sentence structure is in Latin. That's how he does it. That's why J.I. Packer said, and if you're reading John Owen, you have to read him out loud. That was his little tip. You have a hard time reading John Owen? Like I'm saying, literally, his... He's writing in English, but his sentence structure follows Latin thought patterns. Some of the Dutch guys are that way too, where you read them and they actually follow the uh, Dutch sentence structure, even though they're writing in English. And you're just like, why is this so confusing to read? You know, another thing the Dutch authors do is they talk about all the wrong views for chapters and chapters. And then in the very last chapter, at the very end of the book, they tell you what's right and what they believe. So if you just want to skip over all that stuff and go right to the end, well, then you know what, what the author thinks. Just a little tip on, on reading some of those guys. But, now I would suggest, this is, just, this is just my opinion, but I would suggest that, that instead of, you know, oh, you're like, I know more than the introductory stuff. That's, I'm beyond that. Instead of just automatically assuming that, if you find a book that's introductory, or if it's, you know, it's, it's say, say something, one of, these, one of these booklets, say. How should we consider Christ in affliction? I mean, it's, it's, it's 20 pages Joel Beakey has. So here's a topic. How, how do we think about Christ in the midst of affliction? It's introductory. 
okay? He's like, oh, well, I'm beyond that. I need, I need a big book. I can, you know. But I would just suggest, if it's introductory, you should strive to have mastery over the introductory material. You, you should, like if there's key Bible texts, you know the Bible texts. If there's key ideas or thoughts, or even sometimes a turn of phrase, that you master that. You master then that, that introduction. You, you master that introductory material. And then, if you've mastered the introductory material, like I, how, many, how many people here have read What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert? Okay, a few of you. We, we t- say at every class, to, it come, people coming into membership, it's a little black book. We have the tracks in the back. There's the track that's the summary. You think, well, I'm not there to read the book. Well, go ahead and master that little paper track back there. Master the text. Do you know the Bible text that, that he does? He goes through? Do you know his main points? God, man, Christ response. Have you, have you mastered that? It's like, well, no, I, I, I don't need that little book. I know what the gospel is. I, I want something more interesting. I'm ready for eschatology, right? Because that's what everybody, everybody wants what they want, right? Master the introductory stuff. Don't be embarrassed by it. And once you've mastered it, then you can go to the intermediate stuff and, and be challenged by it. Now, I'd say Piper's book, The Pleasures of God, is an intermediate book. But it's a challenging book. But it's a soul-enriching book, so it's going to challenge you more. And then the advanced books, the advanced books then are building your discernment. They're building your discernment. They're fine-tuning things. They're assuming that you know the introductory. They're assuming you know the intermediate. And they're making fine arguments that are distinguishing between various positions and they require then a, a certain degree of thought. They can be very enriching but they assume a lot of background material. And some people think, well, yeah, it's the best book on the subject because it's so advanced and it's dealing with these, all these discerning questions. Yeah, but if you haven't had mastery of the introductory material, it's not, it's not very good for you. Now, um, I'm just going to list a couple books that this, from this, uh, this deal from... CHBC and Mark Dever, a couple of books mentioned that they have. So, for example, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. We talk about it here, uh, Mark Dever's book. This curriculum that that Rob's been working through, we derive it from some of the material with those books. Another one is A Call to Spiritual Reformation by D.A. Carson, which is kind of what you've seen us do in in our prayer meetings for a long time, which is to pray through the prayers of the Apostle Paul. So find where Paul is praying in the New Testament, in his letters, and then work through those. And that's all that D.A. Carson is doing in that book. He just goes through all the prayers of Paul. And what does he say? What's going on there? Uh, the Pleasures of God is another one that's recommended. That's something you can work through, you know, read a chapter. The Pleasures of God in Bruising the Sun is one of the most profound chapters in this book that has had a massive impact on my life. And you could walk through that with someone else. 
Uh, the last two are Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. Or maybe I would just recommend the book that you got at the conference, Habits of Grace by David Mathis. What are your spiritual disciplines? What are those habits? And I already mentioned what is the gospel. Now, I'm running out of time. A couple more things. Um, when it comes to discipling, just look for opportunities. I mean, I know this, this maybe fits more in with what Rob's been teaching. But I would just say, you want to look for people and how that would fit. Like, do you, you know, how, how could you help them? Do you know just a little bit more than they do? Well then, you know, work through an introduction and strive for mastery with them. And, and remember, if you have worked through something and it's blessed you, it's been a blessing to you, share the blessing of that book with someone else. Just simply, it's just a conversation. Share it with someone else. And last thing I'll mention, if you're working through a book with someone, just mention it to an elder. Just, just let us know. Just mention it. Because sometimes, whether it's N.T. Wright or Eugene Peterson or whoever it might be, maybe we know things about that author that you might not know and say, yeah, go ahead and read that book, but just watch out for this guy on his doctrine of Christ or just watch out for him on his view of justification or just watch out on his mysticism you know, or just watch out for a few things like that. Um, now, I'm just going to, yeah, it's 10.20. I don't got enough time. I got to quit. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open to one question, maybe, maybe two. Okay, question. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, if, you're, if you've come to these Calvinistic, more Reformed convictions, what is something to work through? And, and I would say, I would actually personally, I would start with what Calvin does, which I would, I would start with the gospel. Most of the people, in order to get them thinking about then these more sovereignty-oriented issues, they actually don't understand the gospel very good. And I would, work, I would work through Greg Gilbert's What is the Gospel with them to start with. Because if you don't get the gospel right, you can't then understand then God's sovereign workings further than that. And then beyond that, a very simple one uh, could be, I think Chosen by God by R.C. Sproul is a good one. However, it might be too much. You could actually go through uh, John Piper. Mathis mentioned it when he was here. John Piper's little... It's a booklet, but you can get it as a PDF free on his five points of Calvinism, and you can work through that. But it's it's a little more, it's smaller, very accessible. I'll do one more, and then I gotta go. Mark. I'm kind of embarrassed to ask, and I did write down these articles I'd like to look at. But do you have a recommended YouTube channel or two? Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's, I find the YouTube channels to be tough, to be honest, because I find very few of them that I can, that I can kind of endorse wholeheartedly. Often they're interview-based. They're interview-based. I mean, there's stuff like, I mean, if you, you know, I think Steve Lawson is on YouTube. Like any, any, any good preachers, they're just having their sermons on YouTube. 
can be good, but, I, but one of the problems with YouTube is it's a lot of interviews, and if you don't know who the interviewer is and also who he's interviewing, then you end up kind of already, you're being persuaded by people you don't know anything about. So you have to be very careful. Uh, and, and then some of these guys, they present themselves as experts on all manner of stuff. Um, the, the boys introduced me to a guy named, uh, is, it, is it Redeemed or Reformed Zoomer? Redeemed Zoomer. So watch this stuff. And some of it is good. He's talking about denominations and various things. But as we get into it, we realize this guy's in a liberal Presbyterian denomination. I don't think he's complementarian. He's got different, he's got, sure, he, he's got a certain view of things, but then he's got various presuppositions. You know, he basically likes whatever denomination has the best church architecture. Right? So, so what's the criteria? Do I know it? And the other thing about YouTube and these things, you don't know their life. You don't know if they beat their wife. You don't know if, you don't know if they're looking at pornography. You don't know anything about them. You don't know, oh, well, that guy was kicked out of three churches before the church that he's in. You don't know much about them. Now, it's different if they're ministries you do know about and you can, you, you're aware of them and you've talked to your pastor and thought through them and then they can be beneficial. But that's the thing with YouTube and the democratization of knowledge. You've got to be very, very careful. It requires even more discernment on that front. At least when you get to these publishers, like Banner Truth, I'd love to have Banner Truth publish something I write, but <laughs> they just don't publish anything that isn't guaranteed to last and the guys are guaranteed to be going to heaven. They just don't. Because they will not threaten the thought that they're going to have some apostate writing a book that was interesting for a moment. So I'll have to leave it at that. I'll think about that. Let's pray. Lord, as we prepare for this wonderful service, even a worship service where we're going to have Lord's Supper, I pray that each of us would even as Paul told the pastors, but it applies to all Christians, we would all watch over our lives and doctrine. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.